The following program brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities. The opinions expressed by the members of CFCI and their guests should not be construed as specific investment, legal, or tax advice. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. Investing may involve the risk of loss of principal, and any tax advice on the show is not intended to be used by any persons for the purpose of avoiding U.S. federal or state tax. Penalties that may be imposed on such persons and each listener should seek advice from their tax advisor or legal counsel on topics that arise from the show. The representatives of CFCI and their guests are not providing legal or tax advice and nothing should be construed as a solicitation to offer or buy securities. Now enjoy the show. Hey everyone, it's a Thursday and the sun was out. It was warm, windy, made me think about getting the old bass boat out. Doug and I were talking before the show that a nice spinner bait or jerk bait or maybe a crappie jig sure is in our future. Now it is just early February, which we're talking a little premature normally, but it would be a great day to get out. But instead we're here with you, which is completely fine. That was planned. And I'm just hoping we have a few more of these days to come. I didn't really see what happened on Groundhog Day. I want to say that he either saw a shadow, and I think he did, which means uh, a shortened shortened winter. Did you hear? Did you see any of that? Uh, to be honest, I I didn't see. I don't really celebrate <laughs> Groundhog Day, so I don't really follow things like that very closely. But I heard Glass on his show. He he was talking about it a lot. Um, so I'm sure. I'm sure he, if you listen to this show and his show, I'm sure you know something about that. All right, we're going to have a fun show today with Doug Hughes. He's in the studio. And then uh, next week, uh, we'll have uh, Jolene Dixon on. She runs the local Social Security office. We, her and I have known each other for 100 years. Our kids went to school together, church together, all that kind of good stuff. And she is wicked smart on some of these topics. So we're going to dig into some really great weeds, um, basics, but then also the weeds. One thing we're going to talk about, what can you do online Versus what do you have to go to the office for? That's a question that comes up almost every single time. Can I do this online? Basic stuff you can, and, and now more advanced stuff. But there's certain things still require you to go into the office or get on the phone and make an appointment. All right, let's do a little uh, headlines of the week brought to you by Kenny Bland Auctions. They're your full service auction service. They offer the pre-planning the sale of your estate or real estate. Visit them online at KennyBlandAuctions.com. And then, like Law Group, give yourself and your family the peace of mind that comes with proper estate planning. Call my friend Lance at the Like Law Group, 812-323-8300. All right, so my question is, should Eli Lilly be in the Magnificent Seven? So I saw an article on the Wall Street, in the Wall Street Journal this week. It said, last month, Eli Lilly's market cap surpassed Tesla's as the top performer in the S&P 500. The drug giant is making a strong case for replacing Tesla as one of the so-called Magnificent Seven stocks. Lilly gains have been fueled, of course, by their big bet on the obesity drug. Everyone's talking about it, and half of them are taking it. One risk to the Lilly trade is that expectations are getting so rosy, making them harder to top. But on Tuesday, the company solidly beat earnings expectations. The company forecasted revenue of $40.4 billion to $41.6 billion. That represents about 20% of the growth at this point, surpassing the $39.5 billion analysts consensus thought they would pull out. The guidance implies that at least $11 billion in sales from the drugs, its two fastest growing drugs, the GLP-1 drugs for diabetes and obesity, respectively, 
which is more than analysts expected. So, like Tesla, Eli Lilly has benefited from a mass culture hype that has propelled it to trade at valuations way beyond what is normal for any sector in that peer group. But companies' role, dominant role, players, uh, you know, gives people huge optimism that valuations are justifiable. Tesla trades at 57 times its earnings over the next 12 months. Lilly's trading at 55 times earnings. When have you ever heard Lilly trading never, or any healthcare never. company at 55 over of earnings? And I had someone in today whose mother invested $15,000. Uh, just to bring this down to dollars, $15,000 in Eli Lilly some 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now, it's a long spread, but it's worth 180000 a day, and she did nothing. A lot of millionaires coming out of Lilly. Just, just held it. Some regular ordinary workers over there. None of them are ordinary workers, but there are some people with not even real high-level jobs pulling some big bucks out of there. As an example, Ford Motor Company carries a 6.6 multiple, J&J 15 times. Uh, even high growth companies like Amazon fetch a multiple of 41. So what does that mean, folks? It basically means that I am paying you 41 times your earnings, current earnings. I'm is that future earnings, forward-looking earnings? That the, yeah, I'm looking here. Nonetheless, that's what they're paying. That's a lot. Um, we've seen companies back at Amazon early days paying you know ton of for earnings and all that, but that's a risk because we were talking at lunch today that. I have friends that legitimately had diabetes, got on the drug, lost a ton of weight. They're still on the drug, still losing weight. Some of them look absolutely terrible, and I'll say it to their face, as my brother used to always say. (laughs) (laughs) I don't talk behind people's back. I said, come on, man, you look terrible. Well, I just want to lose five more pounds. Well, But the numbers aren't coming down for some of these people. So you never know. Some of these things could... You know, go the other way, and when you have such a big part of your revenues driving these uh, these these valuations, you just have to be careful sometimes. So, we've been there before. The hype of the EVs happened with uh, obviously Tesla, and still there to a certain degree. But you just have to be careful. And and you know, I've talked about in the show, you have to have diversification, but not over diversify. Over diversification usually over diversifies you out of any meaningful returns. Um, you know, and in one of my segments next, that I'm going to talk about Doug is why the S&P 500 may be riskier than you think, mm-hmm. because everyone sees the S&P and they see what it has done over time. I'll give you a reality check too on what you think the S&P should do for you and what it has actually done for you over a normal retirement period. So I'm not going to try to throw, you know, a wet blanket on the subject, no pun intended, Doug Hughes. Thank you, thank you. It's just one of his nicknames at the <laughs> office. Not not self-given, right, given right. by other people. The, the self-given ones are a little bit more uh, optimistic <laughs> yeah, and a little right. bit better. <laughs> right, big fundamental is one, yes, right? Yes. Early but right is another one. EBR, yes, Right, taking yeah. care of business. Taking Te- care of business, yep. yep. When Doug signs an email and he's talking about something that he's tra- trying to say could happen or will happen, he'll call it, you know, He'll have some acronym that, yes. that justifies one of his, his many nicknames. And then when it does happen, he, he just puts R. Yep, R. R. <laughs> and, and, and just for our listeners, though, there's quite a few R's that come through the email and the text loops <laughs> in our office. <laughs> yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun. If you can't have fun, why would you do it? Let's take a quick break. When we come back, why the S&P 500 may be riskier than you think. This is Your Money with David Hayes.
Welcome back, everyone, on this beautiful Thursday. If you're listening on Saturday morning, I have no idea what the weather's like. If you're listening via the podcast sometime next week, again, I have no idea what your weather's like. I just know that today was beautiful, and I didn't get to spend enough time out there. My son and his girlfriend will be, uh, what do you call it, calling bingo, calling bingo tonight at the Porthole Inn out in Unionville. So if you are listening at 6 o'clock on Thursday, um, come on out because it goes until 8 o'clock. And they have a big, great drawing at 7. It's a lot of fun. So I talked to him today. We did a workout together at the Iron Pit this morning, and he um, is actually very nervous about it, but I told him he's going to do great. He performed. You know, he, he graduated in 2019 from Bloomington South, and he was in Sounds of South for four years. Of course, Sounds of South, if you're not familiar, is an advanced um, singing, dancing, theater kind of thing. So he has a stage presence. He's not afraid to talk, singing or whatever in front of people. So to get that one out of the way. Um, but as you may know, following me, that he also was a two-time semi-state qualifier in wrestling at Bloomington South. So he has a, a good uh, mindset to be able to go up and, and overcome a fear. So I keep reminding him of that. Now he just turned 23 years old, and I told him this stuff will never leave you, but you have to practice it. You've got to keep doing it. Because if you don't do it, you might become stage shy. You might not have that mental confidence and intensity that you need to do something that's a little uncomfortable, right? What's more uncomfortable than getting in a singlet, walking out in the middle of the mat with one other guy with, uh, with hundreds of pe- I mean, even at, at semi-state, thousands of people staring at you, um, and either win or get your butt beat. You only have two choices, so he'll, uh, he'll do great. But if you're bored and want to come out, it's free, and uh, it, it's not a gambling thing. You win gift cards and memory, you know, hats and stuff like that, so it's a lot of fun. All right, so Doug Hughes is in the studio with me today. And, Doug, uh, I know everyone in our business and most people tend to compare their stock portfolios to the S&P 500. It's been around for ever and ever and ever. When I say 100 years, I'm serious. It's been around forever. The Dow Jones Industrial Average forever. But the S&P has been, you know, the sexiest one to follow. Most people do not invest like the S&P. Why? Because the S&P 500 may be riskier than you think. And the answer is why? Well, it's highly concentrated. When you look at the S&P 500, and I'll get into the NASDAQ in a minute, which is even worse, you have the seven, Magnificent Seven, maybe even eight companies, certainly it's around 12 companies, that drive the majority of the return. Because the bigger you are, the more you make up of the index. So it makes it more highly concentrated. So just like in 2022, when big tech took a hit, guess what? The S&P was down a lot. So as those big ones go, so goes the S&P. So when you're sitting here owning the S&P thinking, oh, it's a solid index. Yeah, historically, it's been a solid index. I'll get to more of that in just a second. But Doug, I think people are wooed into believing that they have less risk than what they really have. Exactly right, David. And, and you know, I remember hearing um, uh, Kathy Woods from the ARK Investments talk about the, uh, the U.S. obsession with the S&P 500. And the reality is the difference between the S&P 500 cap weight and the S&P 500 equal weight is exactly what you're describing. The largest companies with the highest returns, they, they pull this index very high. And then when it snaps, when it hits, it's pulled much lower. The equal weight index 
goes across all 11 sectors and distributes the allocation evenly. So, for example, utilities are doing very good, but they're not doing as good as tech right now. So tech is, is going to be a much larger cap weight than, than in the S&P 500, and that's why you have the Magnificent Seven. By the way, let's go back. It wasn't too many years ago that it was the fangs. Facebook, Dot Amazon. Com, back yeah. in the early 2000s. Exactly right. And so, or late 90s. I, I heard a, a portfolio manager, if I could take just a moment, and this is in no way a prediction or a thought, but it's just, it is a historical fact. I heard a portfolio manager over last weekend remind us that in the late 1990s, particularly 1999, there was no company better than Qualcomm. It was the number yeah. one company. Everybody had to have it. It's going to change the world. And all the everything you read about some of these companies today, you read about Qualcomm. Qualcomm was up 2,600% in 1999, crashed in 2000 with a tech bubble, and took 10 years to get back to even. So just because something is really doing well today and it's the well, latest at, technology that will... an example. Disney, you know, if you, if you look yes. at the last year, whatever, it's done, I think, fairly well. But if you widen that scope, you're like, crap, it's taken me all these years just to get back to even. Again, guys... We say it in the disclosures in the beginning, when we talk about a particular company, we're not recommending you buy, you sell yes. it, you do anything with it. We're just providing education. H historical data about what's happened. I think Cisco Systems still hasn't even got completely back to where it was pre uh, the year 2000. So Sounds like the Japan years. stock market, right? Yeah, and now look at it. It's coming back <laughs> roaring back now. Yeah, but but from, it, took, I mean, it took 25, 30 years. 30 years to get yeah. back to where it was. Exactly. You know, I was asking Rod at lunch, uh, has the Dow hit 40 yet? I haven't really been paying attention. He laughed. I, mean, I, would, I would know if it hit 40. And I said, man, I sure hope it hits 40,000 because we can invite Harry Dent back on the radio show. <laughs> yeah. you remember the Roaring 2000. Roaring 2000, yeah. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention that, that – portfolio managers and folks are worried about. I was reading this um, when just a few stocks like Meta, NVIDIA, which we want to talk about, Tesla, they outperform. Experts worry about breadth of the market. In a move, if a move in the stock market shows broad moving across a wide swath of stocks, then it's thought to be strong. But trends support by just a handful of influential stocks tend to be weak. Now, we have seen some broadening out in this rally, so that's not maybe a huge concern, but it is a big concern. You talked about NVIDIA uh, at lunchtime today, how it by itself represents something like 20% of the... 25 plus of the return. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, so it's all, again, concentrated, and we go back to the Qualcomms and different companies right now, and I'm not picking on this company in particular, but it's everyone's favorite stock, and everyone's running into it, and, just, and, and for good reason, it's been running up, but that doesn't mean this run will last forever. So what's a common sense approach? Well, Rod and our team has always bu built the idea around a core satellite. So core could be some of these indices, uh, the NASDAQ, the S&P, but then satellite positions are kind of even it out or round it out. I mentioned the S&P. What about the NASDAQ? Seven companies make up one half of that index. The tech stocks have, have no room for error, according to a Wall Street Journal article on February 5th, I mean, it says tech stocks have no room for error. Investors were picky about earnings with Meta standing out or standing out due to their first dividend that they're going to start paying. But when you go down the list from Amazon to Google, which is Alphabet, Microsoft, uh, Apple, Tesla, you know, all of them, they are just booming on the expectations of not needing as many people, artificial intelligence, whatever it might be. Uh, so they do, you just have to be careful. So let me give you a little history lesson. How many of you listening, 
If I well, let me ask you this, and I wish I could see your hands. Keep your hands on the wheel if you're driving. <laughs> but it's like, okay, what's been the average return of the S and P 500? What does everyone say, Doug? About 10 percent. Right. That's exactly right. And you're like, really? Well, how far back? Well, since the very beginning. Well, how long has the S and P been around? Has it been around since like 1920 something? I don't know exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yes. How, how many people have a you know 80 year, 100 year retirement? Nobody. But most people have a 20 to 30 year retirement. 30 if you're lucky. But we'll call it 20 to 25 if you're mm-hmm. lucky. So when you hear that it's average that you cannot assume that. When I looked at the year stock market returns between 2000 and 2023, so so 23 years. The total return has been 388%, but that averages 6.93% per year. Now, if you think about inflation in there, and we haven't even had high inflation, you adjust it down, your real return is about 4.38%. Now, what about this average return of 10 that everyone talks about? Well, guess what? If you just say, I'm going to widen that lens just a little bit, I go back to 1996 through the through actually the end of 22 or the end of 23, then it's average 10%. You know, it's like 9.8, 9.9, 10.2, kind of depending on which date you pick. But nonetheless, it, if you slide it back just a few years, yes, it does. But when you just crimp in a little bit and you say, okay, I picked up that 2000, 2001, 2002, even with some, and I had the 2008, 2009, even with the more recent bull market we had in the slight bear market that we had, you didn't have those kind of returns. So my fear is that folks listen to people, they watch things, read things, and say, well, if I'm averaging this, then I can take this out in retirement. That's not the way it works. Average returns do not matter when it's retirement time. Now, if you t- follow our philosophy, which is the money that I'm going to need in the next 10 years or so is invested in a you know conservative manner so I can buckle through some of these ups and downs that generally happen every year, not just over a 10-year period. can't assure you that we're going to have more money in that later bucket in 10 years. We've had a lost decade, right? 2000, 2010, that full decade. Look at it, on, look at it pull it up on your computer. If you didn't do anything during that time, you just sat there, you were point to point about even. So it was a lost decade. Now, if you widen that lens out another 10, right, 25, 30 years, that's when you can start picking up these these actual returns that happen over time. That's why when I sit down with someone and we're actually looking at a potential plan of, of returns going forward, you won't see us saying, hey, you're going to make 6%, 7%, 8%, 8%. On average, we dial it down and it's more than the high fives because you never know. Uh, what's going to happen. And to me, sometimes that's a little more realistic. If you take 60% stocks and 40% bonds and you say, okay, over the last 25 years, 23 years, my stocks have averaged a little less than seven. My bonds have averaged a little less than three because that's what's happened. Then, you know, when you add those together, that's where you get into a, a more, much more realistic return expectation. So I'm just saying, listen, if you own just a straight up index, now what? Now let me talk directly to the TSP people out there because it's been on my mind lately. A lot of people own the C fund, mm-hmm. and again, they're like, "Man, I'm with the C fund. I'm, I'm gonna stick with the C fund." That's the S and P 500 mimic fund. Um, you have the same risk there that we just talked about: highly concentrated positions. So just be aware of it. It's okay to own some of that boring G fund. It's okay, you know, especially if you're approaching or getting close to retirement. 
Doug? Yes. That's about all I have to say about that on the S&P 500 side. Any last words before we move on? Well, the, the only thing, again, I, I would go back to is people should um, recognize <laughs> that the difference between a cap weight and an equal weight uh, when, when looking at indexes. Um, I know you and Rod uh, probably covered the S&P 100 not long ago, but <laughs> there, you know, there's just... Yeah, we did last week, yeah, actually. Yeah, there's, there's numbers of indexes out there, but... In markets like this, when everything is going well and it's all easy, you don't need active management or defense. But just remember, there's always a place for active management and defense because, to David's point, as these companies become more and more concentrated and it becomes tighter and tighter when something comes along. And by the way, we don't know what it's going to be. Is it going to be terrorist attacks? Is it going to be mortgage meltdowns? Is it going to be COVID? Is it going to be... You know, some other there will be something that comes along. We don't know what the title of it is yet. You want to have a plan put together that addresses that scenario as well. Yeah, we were talking last week about the S and P uh, 100, right? So which is you, the 100 stocks of the S and P 500, you, right? So right, the top, the top the, ones, yeah, and yeah. you know, you're going to capture um, that magnificent seven or eight or whatever you want to call it. If we decide to throw a lily in, I have no control over who can who <laughs> controls. Why we call things a certain thing, but nah, it just catches on. The um, nifty fifty back nifty in the seventies. Nifty fifty, and, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. you mentioned, the fangs. Fangs. Um, yeah. Everything's trendy, dude. I mean, it's just the way it goes. But so, but you're riding the wave right now. Um, no harm in reallocating when you're not at the absolute top. I think it's a great time to do some rebalancing. We had great uh, stock markets. We still have strong yields in the bond world. Uh, I wouldn't hesitate one iota into pressing that rebalance button right now on my 401k and and get things kind of back to where you're comfortable when things don't go good let's take a quick break did you know this is this is good stuff guys because with volatility low interest rates high the financial services market product arena has become crazy as far as what's being offered out there and most of you don't even hear about it because you've got your head down and you're in those same old funds that you've always been in. Uh, and, you know, this is what people do who, who pay attention. They look for opportunities. Is this going to be around forever that I'm going to talk to you about next? But here's what I'm going to tell you. Did you know that there are products, investment products, that will offer you around 140% of the S&P 500 return, in addition giving you some downside protection over a fairly short period of time? When we come back, we'll give you the heads up on that and where you can access it, what you can do about it if you're interested in that kind of thing at all. This is Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. Your Money with David Hayes. Doug Hughes is in the house as well. Doug, I mean, one thing that our industry does not lack is creativity. Exactly. Sometimes it it's to a fault because they'll continue to introduce products, features that, you know, sound so good. And, and at the time they are supported by the economics and the economics change on them and the, the companies get in trouble. And then they start trying to bail out of this and bail out of that. And, but one of the things I think people need to know is there are some really cool things out there. And I'm just going to cover a couple and have you chime in. Um, there's a product that I've been using recently that will give you 140% participation rate on the S&P 500. What does that mean? If it's up 10, you get 14. And it also gives you some downside protection. And right now it's around 15% on this one particular product. There are a slew of these out here. 
and they're always racing for the top. So one, you know, one month, this company might have a better participation rate. This company might have a better participation rate. Um, here's the deal. It's, it's inside something called a registered linked indexed annuity. No, no, not an annuity again. No, guys, I'm not, not going to go through all this again with you. But an annuity is not, it's not what it is, it's what it does. And Doug, that's a term that Doug coined years ago. And we've gone through them all. You have fixed, fixed index, registered linked index, variable annuities, and of course, VAs are the ones that get the, the bad press because their fees are so high. But in this case, it's a six-year product. It gives you 140% of the S&P, sands the dividend. So dividend does not get put into this. Do you like that little, you like that, that like, sands? Throw that, me that, that in there. That was great, yes. Made me sound smarter than I am. Yeah, I like it. I learned that when I worked for the law firm. because <laughs> Throwing a word every once in a throwing while. Throwing a little Latin yeah. here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so it has a 15% buffer, which means downside protection on a six-year chassis. So I put, a, I put 100000 bucks in, and the S&P doubles in six years. So it would, if you were in the S&P, you would have gotten 200000 plus the dividend, which is in the one somewhere along the way, so called another 7% on top of that. And, or you're in this thing where you put the 100 in, and not, no, it doesn't go to 200. It grows to 40% more or another 80 grand on top of that. And along the way, you have this 15% downside buffer or protection. So if the market went down 15, you lose nothing. It goes down 20, you lose five. But when you go back and look at all five-year rolling periods, I'm not going to say this definitively because I didn't look at every single one, but I, didn't, I couldn't find one in about a 15-minute search that showed any five-year period that was actually negative more than 15%. There are a lot of more negative. Yeah. A lot of them were negative, but none of them that I looked at. I went all the way back into like the, you know, 70s. And I couldn't find a five-year period where 15 wouldn't protect you. Doug, there's other ones out there. Sure. Um, and, and let me say this. You mentioned earlier the people in the, the TSP and they have the, the C fund, the common. So one of the strategies with this is you can own the S&P a lot of different ways. You can buy a fixed index annuity. You can buy an index annuity. You can buy... Active managers, one that we know that has three criteria that um, that uh, screen through the S and P 500. So they take the 500 stocks and they screen out due to volatility, cash levels, debt, different things like that. There's so many different ways to own the S and P 500. Where this pairs nicely with with the S and P 500, if you had like just the S and P or the C fund throw this as a portion next to it just to buffer out some of the risk at the end of five or six years. Because and there is a slight a fee the with the one I've just mentioned. It's, it's a one and a quarter fee. Yeah. You're paying one and a quarter to have 40% more upside and 15% downside. Pretty good trade-off for most people. Yeah. So if you're extremely fee adverse, it's, it's absence, uh, fees or costs are only an issue in the absence of value. And the, so the one you're describing there has 140% participation rate, but there are others that are completely uncapped, they don't participate at 140. It's just whatever the market is with the buffer. Yeah. So if at the end of six years you had a 2022 and you're down, you know, um, uh, 18%, you're down three. And so there are those that don't have the fee, that don't have a participation rate, that just let you run and track the S&P 500. And these are inside, and some of them have no fees. And some yeah, of them no have fee fees. withdrawal, yes. If, yeah. you, if you have a major enhancement like the 40%, you're going to see a fee. Right. But some of these others that Doug just mentioned, you can get 10%, 20% downside, maybe uncapped over six years. They have one years, three years, six. They have all kinds of stuff. But just know they're out there because with interest rates high, volatility low, 
it creates a tremendous opportunity for these for these institutions to come out with some really creative products. Everyone everyone wants your money, right? And, everyone everyone wants your money. And we say these things go along with, not instead of. Right, like, right, like right, right. you know, this is this would go along with. Well, you're giving up a little liquidity because sure. you know you can get ten percent out a year without a penalty. There's a penalty if you take it out before the sixth year. Not enormous. It's like six percent, five. I don't even know, but and, it's not a lot. And these work very well, David, into that first ten year spend down that we talk about with the bucket strategy, right? Like. You can put some money in this, and you know that that in six years you're going to get 140 percent of what the S and P does, um, and they they fit right into that that more conservative part of that balance. And that these market. are these are invested through investment advisors. Uh, yes. I don't know that you can go direct. I don't. I've never seen anyone go direct. Uh, most all of us that I know get go through an investment guy or gal. Um, the other thing, there are some publicly traded um, ETFs and exchange traded funds that have kind of hit the market recently to do similar things, you know, give you some enhanced upside with some downside protection. Uh, still trying to figure out, because it's fairly new, still trying to figure out how their fee structure works. But I was thinking about that today. I don't know I really care that much what the fees are, because if they're saying I'm going to give you this for one year, maybe it's 120% upside with maybe 10 to 20% downside. However, they've structured their fees in there, even if it's like 2%. I don't really care because I they're telling me what I'm going to get. So you, you sometimes you don't really care what the fees are, but everyone you generally wants to know. So that's just one of many, many examples. Uh, and we've talked about a few other structured-type products on the show. Uh, but they're out there. So like Doug said, it's just a really great thing to do to have a slice, uh, and a good slice in some cases, of your money and something that has a protected strategy because you never know what's around that next door. Human nature is we really hate loss and the, we really hate the guessing game when it comes to our money. Nobody wants to guess about their income while they're working. These products are nice because of that. Yeah. So I had a person that's a, you know, scared person all the time about everything. Sure. And she got into one of these and about a year or two in, you know, things weren't were going kind of wonky and I'm like you really need to ride this thing out to the end of the 6 year. Well, it, the six year just hit, and she's happier than a pig in poop. There I mean, she's happy, but it, we got her through that first two years of angst mm-hmm. uh, when the markets were going crazy. I kept reminding her of the protections and the whatever. So they help kind of keep your feet to the fire because if you move it, you're going to have a little bit of a penalty. Now, the exchange traded funds, you can move in and out of those all you want. So it kind of creates the same bad behaviors that, that sometimes we see um, people do. All right, Doug, the Federal Reserve met. They decide they're not going to raise rates in March. Uh, but I watched Fed Chairman Powell kind of ring the debt and deficit alarm on 60 Minutes last Sunday. If no one saw it, you should Google it and watch it. And he just, I'm just saying we better start listening. Uh, not all of us, we're listening. You're, I'm listening, Doug's listening, you're listening because you're listening to this program. Uh, but those that make policy decisions to address it, I don't know that they're listening or they, they want to listen. All right, we'll be right back to talk about what he said and what I think in just a few minutes. This is Your Money with David Hayes. All right, let me tee this up with a little commentary from last week. This was last week, okay? Stocks pushed higher. Last week, as we cheered those mega cap tech corporate reports and better than expected employment reports, stocks hit those new highs. At the beginning of the week, stocks surged, anticipating fourth quarter corporate updates 
from the tech companies and the Federal Reserve's two-day policy meeting. This led to the S&P 500 reaching record highs on Monday. The market remained relatively stable for the rest of the week until Wednesday when the Fed announced its decision to maintain interest rates at their target, current target rate. The FOMC news, that was unsettling to the market, who anticipated that rates would remain unchanged, but expected more specific guidance on what the Fed's plan is to lower rates in the future. So on Friday, the jobs report for January revealed an additional 353,000 new jobs. Some of them, here, let me tell you about this. These aren't like all great jobs. These are, in some cases, people getting second jobs. When you really dig into the report, it's like Doug going to work at Taco Bell when we're done because that's just, he needs that extra employment, right? I mean, that's, that's what – so anyway, if you dig down deep, I, I just need folks to understand that sometimes the numbers on the surface aren't really the numbers because the forecast was 185,000 jobs. And if you go back and look at the last six or seven jobs reports, there's always a revision about a month later. They've all been revised down, but no one talks about that. Just a little side commentary. This strong report did not negatively impact the markets, which you would think it would. But I think the markets are onto this with the revisions down every single time. The strong report did not do that. But instead, it interpreted it as a robust economy, which would mean the Fed wouldn't necessarily need to lower rates. The Fed decision to keep the rates low, I mean, sorry, high, disappointed as as you would expect they've been hoping for indications rate cuts were in the coming months this led to a decline in prices on wednesday with increased selling towards the end of the day the wall street journal's headline after the meeting on wednesday suggested that rate cuts were possible but not expected immediately the policy language released after the meeting indicated a, a subtle shift from considering rate cuts to proposing they would possibly be there or would not possibly be possible unless inflation comes uh, under control completely. But here's what I, I, he, so Fed Chairman Powell was on 60 Minutes and he said this, the U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path in that 60 minute interview with Scott Pelley. If you didn't see it, I, I made my wife actually watch it not that she doesn't hear enough of it anyway. She, I mean, you would think I'd take, I'd take a little time off, but I'm always irritated and agitated about this. Congress punted, has punted on spending deadlines three times since the end of September. It grappled with how to fund the government. The tensions, of course, about the ballooning debt are there. So he, he essentially just said, hey, listen, our debt-to-GDP ratio is 120% to, um, to one. And our debt is growing faster than our economy, and it's not sustainable. And I thought, this sounds awfully familiar. David Walker, former comptroller of the United States of America, was doing the exact same thing back in 2008. Eight. Right. Yeah. And I had an article here. Oh, here it is right here. Yeah. So I have a, an article from 2009. And he said the national debt, as we speak, is about $10.5 And he was appalled. But the real problem is not that number. The number that we need to become focused on is the total federal fiscal whole. That's the total liabilities and unfunded promises for Social Security and Medicare. As of the end of 2007, which is the latest set of financials that we have right now, it was $53 trillion. That was the unfunded liabilities. That's 455000 per household. Median medium income in America is less than fifty grand. That was back in two thousand and nine. And folks, has the problem gotten worse or better? 
Worse. Dramatic pause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot worse. It was, he was pretty predictive of what he, I, can, I remember following him and him saying, by this date, we should be 20, 20 trillion, 30 trillion. But his projections were about 20 years further than where we find ourselves today. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about running trillion dollar deficits every year for the next 10 years, plus the refinancing of about $8 trillion of debt next year, and the fact that auctions aren't going as smoothly as we thought, I'm just saying for the next few years, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just think that we're going to have to really dig into this and come up with some real solutions. Otherwise, we're down the train track of trouble. Well, another thing, and you know, you and I first got alerted to this when uh, our friend who a couple weeks ago was on, Julian, in October, gave the interview talking about the, the fewer and fewer people coming to the auctions. Um, the sovereign uh, balance sheet is the one that becomes in question, and that's not normal. And the the private and, and the personal private balance mm-hmm. sheets are about the same, but the debt level has just increased so much. And so when you look at, at uh, some of the activities, for example, of the central bankers, the central bankers are buying up gold like crazy. So they're moving money, David, from from paper to something real. Mm -hmm. And you and I were talking about this yesterday. Was it all the young people are thinking about real estate, real estate. People are wanting real things. They're wanting something that isn't paper, that isn't just printed, that isn't, they want something real. And that's beginning to to pick up. For the last three years, the central bankers have been buying gold like crazy. And now all of a sudden we have real estate coming up in our All own minds in this country. Yeah. It's just really interesting. People are moving money from paper to real things. We'll see what happens. It could be a very interesting year when those treasuries roll over next year and we have to come up with buyers to buy those when, And folks, we have, we have almost identical the amount of debt as we have money in tax-deferred retirement accounts. I, if I've said it once, guys, I've said it a million times, do something about it. Start to move those monies out of your taxable accounts into tax-free. Pay the tax now so you'll never have to pay it again. We're going to take a break. When we come back, a good piece, another good piece in the Wall Street Journal. Cover the things that we should be thinking about, especially for retiring, retiring before the age of 65. We'll be right back at Your Money with David Hayes. You know, so many people either are forced to retire before 65 because of an early buyout or some discontinuous change, or they're saying, I'm out because of Medicare at 65, and those are the fortunate people. But there's a lot of people by choice say, I'm getting out at 62. So I'm always like, okay, well, what are the things that you should be really thinking about? Immediately, everyone thinks about health insurance, right? And that is the big one because, you know, if you go on the exchange or you pick up COBRA, I mean, it's not uncommon to see coverage run from 1700 to 2200 bucks a month. So what we've been really focusing on is, hey, if you want to get ready to retire early, we have to have some money that when we pull it out isn't reportable as taxable income. Because I, I have seen people with a couple million bucks in, in, uh, in monies and have a good chunk of it in money that's already been taxed. They live off that money, keep their income at the lowest level that makes the most sense, and they get full ACA credits, which is the Affordable Care Act credits, that can offset all or most of their premiums by retiring early. So when we talk about building up money in non-retirement accounts, when we talk about money in Roth Roth accounts, you don't have to die with a Roth. I did a podcast on this. When should you use the money in your Roth? When it makes the most sense. So right now I'm thinking, okay, let's start taking the money that you need, which is about, they want about 10 grand a month. 
they're not on Social Security. They're not on Medicare. We've got time for that, like five years before they're age 67. But we're going to sit here for the next three years from 62 to 65 and have really good health insurance at a really great price, which in this case was zero. So I just wanted to bring that up. That's the big one. Now, there's other things that people need to understand that they need to think about with retiring before 65. But unfortunately, this show is only so long and I have to take another break to come back to wrap it all up. I'm sorry about that. It's your money with David Hayes. All right. On this beautiful Thursday, as we record the program, I want to tell you thank you for listening. If you missed any of the program or you're a Saturday morning junkie, thank you and and uh, welcome to the show. And then obviously after the Thursday night airing, it magically appears on WGCLradio.com, which we encourage you to go there to listen. Or you can go to your favorite podcast uh, provider and pick the show up there. Um, you know, doing this as long as I've done it, uh, the number of podcasts that get out each and every week, the consistency of it, um, you know, the numbers continue to climb and there's a lot more people listening now, not just here in this area, but all around the country and a few around the world. So we appreciate that. I'm going to try to get fired back up on my 2025, the final drive podcast. I have it done, but I just, it's not perfect. I want, I want people to understand what's the values, what's the pros and cons of changing your residency to Florida once you're retired. A lot of people do that to save the state income tax, but I've got a whole list of other gotchas when you get down there that maybe you didn't think about. And I'm anxious to uh, do a podcast on that. It's all done. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to at least give you some things to think about. So I'm going down that road. Uh, I was going to do it today, but I'm, I'm recording this show early so I can head to the porthole tonight to listen to my son and his girlfriend uh, call numbers, the bingo numbers. So we're excited about that for them. It's going to be fun. Their first time, but they're, they're bingo junkies, so I'm sure they'll do, they'll do great. Doug, I know you're busy tonight. Otherwise, you'd be out at the porthole in doing uh, some uh, bingo. Absolutely. I've got uh, client meetings this evening. And, um, you know, one of the things is when you work with people who are accumulating, and I want everyone to, to know this, that we, we work with people who are accumulating, not just looking at distribution. And sometimes you got to meet after hours because they're right. busy working. That's right. <laughs> and they also enjoy bingo. All absolutely. right. Jolene Dixon from Social Security Administration is going to be on with me next week. I've known Jolene, like I said, for a long, long time. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things from if you're divorced, if you're widowed, uh, claiming strategies, if you have a major age difference. What about if you have younger kids and you're Social Security eligible? Should you jump on so your kids can get it? What kind of things do you have to go into the office or make a phone call to a live person to to do versus what can be done online. And that's just the beginning of a laundry list of things that we will discuss on next week's show with Jolene Dixon. This has been Your Money with David Hayes. I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. Enjoy this weather while it lasts because I have a feeling cold weather's not left us quite yet. Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye. The preceding program was brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities.